Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Coming to you from Grand Rapids, Michigan, where nobody listens to us. You can find us online at www.doubtcast.org, or those of you in West Michigan can listen to us on Public Reality Radio, WPRR, 1680 AM, at Grand Rapids. My name is Dave Fletcher. With me in the studio are my fellow Doubtcasters, Jeremy Bean. Yellow. And... Dr. Professor Luke Galen. Morning. Uh, we have uh, a couple of public appearances coming up soon that we'd like to to announce to all of you, those of you in the West Michigan area. If you're out there, show up. Um, on June 10th, we're going to be giving a presentation about this show at CFI Michigan. It's at 7 p.m. It's a Wednesday night at the Women's City Club in downtown Grand Rapids. Yeah, it's going to be a panel discussion format uh, where we're going to talk generally about what we do on the show and why we think it's important to answer Christian apologists. And That's then right. most of the time we'll be open for question and answer. So we're hoping a few of you might make it out for that and support us with your questions and, and comments about the show. Yeah, and hopefully some people who listen to the show will show up. Otherwise, the questions will be who are you again? <laughs> What's a podcast? I, I think there's, there's plenty in the area that listen to us, you, mostly you so? at the colleges. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's true. We do have we do have our college following. Um, we also have an extended public appearance coming up June 19th through the 21st uh, at CFI Michigan's third annual trip to Long Lake. Last year we did uh, we recorded an episode up there, um, episode 20, with a little help from our friends. One of our best episodes. I kind of consider that, the, in that Jeremy's crowning editing achievement. It really is. Uh, I just listened to it again this past week. He's kind of like the Brian Wilson uh, album <laughs> thing. You know, right. At the peak of his insanity, he mixes together like a you – know. Thank you. I really like that. It is funny that you put it as an extended appearance. <laughs> well, we're, yeah, just gonna, we're just going to be there. We're be, not really well, going to we'll be, be doing anything. we beer all weekend at a lake. Year, that's the yeah, extended Exactly. <laughs> this year we're, we're not recording. Yeah, that's right. Um, we worked our asses off last year. Yep, and so, so now I'm going to enjoy some canoeing. Exactly. Campfire. We're actually just going to have fun this year. Yeah. But, but join us in the fun. No more trying to blindside my mother with a tape recorder. That's yeah. right. Is she going to be there? Oh, I'm, I made there will specific be a tape instructions that you can visit me anytime <laughs> except that weekend. Uh, damn. Okay. Coming up in this episode, Onward Christian Soldiers, again, they just don't ever really seem to stop, do they? Uh, we've also got a Skeptic Sunday School on the Great Commission. But first, uh, we've got an email that we'd like to uh, address. That's right. This email comes from Chris. Chris, I think probably listening to our last episode, which was our discussion with the liberal pastors on faith and reason, Chris writes in saying, uh, since I learn a lot from your discussions, I would like a discussion on the claim by some atheists that agnosticism is not a legitimate position because they claim agnostics are asking atheists to prove there is no God and negatives cannot be proven. Uh, he says, I think such atheists are so vain, they think my agnosticism is about them, <laughs> <laughs> proving nice. there is no God. 
My agnosticism, though, is about my own ignorance. And he brings up a couple of points he, uh, where he's trying to say, you know, in, in essence, you really could prove or disprove the existence of God. He uh, cites in his explanation, first of all, the problem of evil. If it points to a major flaw or contradiction in God's character, well, then uh, any being who is self-contradictory cannot exist. And so that, that would be evidence against the belief of God, a case where you might be able to prove. He also mentions at the end of his email, the existence of gods is disproven by clearly defining the characteristics of a specific concept of God, clearly defining what observations of the world are implied by this God, and then looking for evidence for or against those observations. Even though such observations and arguments do not disprove gods with certainty, these observations and arguments can throw reasonable doubts on the existence of many concepts of God. All right. So uh, his point in that is to defend agnosticism. Speaking personally, I have no problem with agnostics. I just don't think it's a practical position to live by because I, I think um, George Smith, who we refer to uh, frequently, his, his mm -hmm. book Atheism, A Case Against God, talks about how agnostic is really an adjective – you can be an agnostic atheist. You can be an agnostic theist. You can't yeah, sit you, you, squarely. So you could on, lean towards either side. Yeah, not I, sure, but leaning towards theist. I mean, if you uh, you don't know, and and I readily admit I don't know for certain. Richard Dawkins says the same thing, um, but practically speaking, I live as an agnostic atheist. Okay, I can't just say, boy, I don't know. I'll kind of go to church. I'll kind of not go to church. I have no problem with the label of agnostic. I just don't think it's a, a practical um, way to live. You have to live your life one way or the other. Yeah, we. Um, I don't know if you guys remember in the survey data that we collected on people where we had them label themselves. Many people labeled themselves both or between that mm -hmm. and humanist and agnostic sure. and spiritual were the ones. And uh, it seemed that uh, on the, on the uh, empirical level, the uh, it's becoming more popular, or at least the, the ages of people that say, I'm an atheist rather than agnostic are much younger. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I, th I think that agnostic might be kind of, and s similar to humanist, might be kind of a position where people are used to uh, using that term as kind of to not sound dogmatic. Right. Uh, because to sure. some people, like, you know, the, 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 the people that the... The emailers was arguing with say that well you can't know for certain but I think it's becoming more common uh, just on an empirical level I'm noticing it's more common among younger people just to go and use the atheist word rather mm -hmm. than agnostic but, but that's because it's cool now yeah they might you know? be referring to the same thing I mean I can't count the number of times I've had discussions yeah. about well should we use this that's or this what I was and, say, yeah. and people are just using different terminology that some people use the you can't say for sure because it's not a blah, 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 scientific thing. Other right. people that talk about, like you said, like on a practical matter, if you're living, even if you claim I don't know either way, if you're living without God, you are an atheist. Exactly. So they're just talking about different levels of certainty. They're using different yeah. definitions. Right. I, I've never understood atheism to be necessarily positive atheism. I think there's a there long history. There, there are. Yeah. There are. And that's why this ultimately all gets down to what are your particular definitions of atheism and agnosticism. Right. One of the reasons why I've tended to call myself an atheist rather than an agnostic is I've understood what agnosticism as a position historically has been mm. is precisely the opposite of what Chris is making it out to be. And that is we cannot in principle know whether or not there is a God. Right. Now, my, my argument against that has been the same argument that Chris raised. I think there are 
legitimate avenues where we could say with some assurance whether or not there is a God. And that's Dawkins' position too. See right. Victor Stanger. So, yeah, uh, if you take that definition of act- agnosticism, I wouldn't – I don't see it that way. Sure. Um, but again, it's all how you use these terms. The, the, the term was coined first by uh, Huxley, wasn't Huxley. it? Mm-hmm. Yep. The agno- agnostic without knowledge. Yeah. No. Means having no special revelation. So Gnostic and just negate it. A Gnostic, agnostic. Right. right. Yeah. And it, he created as a reaction to those the Gnostics. Elaine Which I Pagel, think the uh, Elaine Pagels is a Gnostic. Yeah. Not, a, not an agnostic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Huxley isn't the story that when he told the jailer that because he was being imprisoned for some sort of civil disobedience, and I think the uh, the jailer said. After he said agnostic, oh, well, we all worship the same God, don't we? And he said <laughs> that comment kept him warm for many nights. <laughs> so thank you for that question, Chris. I hope our discussion was useful in some way. So I, I realize we're uh, far from the only people talking about this topic these days. But well, What topic is that? The topic of Christianity in the military. We're just jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, or or on the Abrams tank. So. There you go. We're kind of Johnny come lately on this, but well, we've had a couple of special episodes and really haven't gotten to do our regular shtick. But there's just been so much that's been coming to light uh, about the military and about uh, religious proselytizing in it that it's it's hard to pass this yeah, up. Yeah, I think not if we skipped it. it, one of the big stories is these uh, memos, right? Um, that uh, Rumsfeld was sending out. Or briefings, his office. Briefings for the president. Briefings that had Bible passages uh, yeah. on the top of them. Yeah, it, it was released in, a, in an issue of GQ, oddly enough. Investigative journalism at its finest. Yeah, well, hey, we'll take it from anywhere. Yeah. Uh, they published a slideshow, and what they showed was cover letters. These are cover letters that had been attached to um, the updates of intelligence that President Bush received given to President Bush by Donald Rumsfeld. Mm-hmm. So, and this is in 2003. Um, this is around the time that we were preparing for the invasion in Iraq, which is what makes this so disturbing. Right. And um, so, for example, um, March 17th, 2003, Bush received a memo. It has a picture on the cover of soldiers praying, and it has a verse from Isaiah 6-8, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Here I am, Lord, send me. Okay, so Mm. (laughs) obviously if the point was to try to avoid a conflict at that point, it sure doesn't sound like it. No. Um, In fact, trying to whip up religious emotions around this upcoming war and mission. And there's a lot of other verses, reports. Isn't there one with tanks on it, the picture of tanks, and then it has like a psalm or something? That's the one that I saw. Yeah, jet fighters uh, with Psalm 139, I rise on the wings of dawn, there, there's the plain reference. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Isaiah 528 on another intelligence brief, their arrows are sharp, all their bows are strung, their horses' hoofs seem like flint, their chariot wheels are like a whirlwind. Of course, very, very militaristic. Right. Ephesians 613 showed on another one, therefore put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, which a uh, friend of the show, Ed Brayton, commented after reading that one that uh, 
Uh, maybe that's why they dispensed with body armor. I was just <laughs> thinking the same thing. Yeah. You can actually buy Armor of God PJs, by the way, for your kids who are afraid to go to sleep I, at night. I've seen them. Yeah, those are. Yeah. Um, but so there's at least, what, four that we know of or uh, briefings that have the, the Bible verse? Uh, five uh, or, or six, actually, because there's one from Proverbs. And then very disturbing, another one that has a verse from Joshua one nineteen. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, which was cited briefly before the genocides that were committed in right. the book of Exodus. Joshua's going out there. Or Joshua, sorry. Smiting the uh, Amicalites and all that stuff. And it, to me, this story isn't so breaking news that, oh my gosh, you mean they were using religious ideas to justify the war in Iraq. No. It's it's the paper trail that we yeah. have now that it's the building evidence that Bush really did see this in some dimension as a religious war and that others seem to be prompting that from him uh, or, or na- catering to na- that. I, maybe I'm naive, but I was actually shocked that that, that would go through the system, that somebody yeah. would allow Bible verses to be on the, the oh, cut, yeah. face yeah. sheet of like a, a briefing. I'm, you know, I, I guess I even thought that even the most like uh, ardent religious you know, uh, proselytizer would say, whoa, we can't do that. But They must I, have thought for sure this conflict was going to go through fine and get well, total approval because they weren't watching their back. Yeah, and they were not – these briefings leading up to the war were not saying – Here's what we do to avoid loss of life. This is let's go in there and kick some ass. What if what if and Ob- God is on our side? What if Obama had briefings on it from the Communist Manifesto, like you know? Well, oh, the, the proletariats would take over the world. I'm wondering too if there were memos with other quotes. I mean, was Shakespeare quoted on some of these? Into the other breach. Ones? Yeah, there you go. You know, throw out some Henry V there. Regardless of if there were a hundred memos and six of them had had these biblical passages, these paint a pretty disturbing picture. We just know a lot of stuff was going on at that time. You know, it was back in 2003, that same year, that all that stuff about the deputy under Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, uh, William Boykin. Oh, the general who made the uh, speech. He was the yeah. Black Hawk Dawn general. Yeah, he made all these comments like, uh, I knew that my God was bigger than his. I knew that my God was real and... And his was an idol talking about the, the Muslim adversaries. Oh. That In his faced. military dress uniform. I, I think he gave this to 23 different religious-oriented uh, speaking yeah. events. Arguing for Bush, he says – Boykin said at that time, why is this man in the White House? The majority of Americans did not vote for him. Thank you for an honest acknowledgement of (laughs) that. That's good. Why is he there? And I tell you this morning that he's in the White House because God put him there for a time such as this. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to impress upon you that the battle we're in is a spiritual battle. Satan wants to destroy this nation. He wants to destroy us as a nation, and he wants to destroy us as a Christian army. God is on the Florida Supreme Court? Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't heard. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> that apparently, God has no use for democracy, or, yeah. uh, and it can contravene. Oh, the vote's tipping with Al Gore? Well, we, we need to do something about that. Well, that's why God's, God's chosen. He wanted it to be obvious. If he had just manipulated with the voters, we would never know but that he, he was I mean, he was monarchy is his chosen um, political setup. See, my so, thought would be that God would intervene through the uh, Diebold voting machines where you'd, no matter what you vote, it would come out Republican. There, like, that's yeah. the hand of God, clearly, on the figure. Or, or couldn't God just influence the voters themselves? Why, why well, has to go to such... Vote Bush can't stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> but wow. Well, obviously, this was a long time ago, but the point of bringing it up again is that it's really not over. 
Uh, there's been a lot of revelations since then, some very recent, that there's still a very large amount of proselytizing that goes on. There's a lot of people in our armed services that still view this as a religious war. I, I don't know if, if either of you guys heard about this. I heard it on um, some radio show here at WPRR 1680 AM um, where they were talking about this um, this one – tank that had a message painted on the side. Did you hear about this? Jesus kills Muhammad. Yeah. And um, they went out with that sign painted on their tank for a day and lived to tell about it. So they said, well, clearly then we're right because because Jesus delivered us from from certain death. I'm I'm no military uh, tactician here, but what is the the survival rate for cruising around in in an Abrams tank? Is it fairly high? Uh, (laughs) That that was my thought on it, too. Like, well, Jesus sure. We we need saved to as, call me a nerd, but we need to do a double controlled experiment <laughs> where both cr- crews are blind to what's on their tank, stencil oh, no. something on, send them out on missions, come back. Or better yet, to see if it's the tank that does it. You send out one crew in a tank that says Jesus kills Mohammed, and another crew naked, painted <laughs> on their chest in Arabic, Jesus kills Mohammed, and see who fares better. Well, their purpose in doing so, according to the Harper's Magazine cover story in May's edition of Harper's, the cover story being Jesus killed Mohammed. So based off of that, uh, they say what was going on was that the soldiers, quote, shouted the saying in both English and Arabic to entice Muslim soldiers into the open before embarking on an attack to put down the insurgency. They also point out that this happened shortly after the soldiers had watched Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ. That's right. Did Muhammad ma- I didn't see that. Did Muhammad make an appearance in the movie? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm not aware of any in historical situation movie. where Jesus transported 500 years in time to kill Muhammad. Smackdown. Yeah. Smacks is kind of Terminator-esque. Now, if the if the insurgents wouldn't come out in in provocation to this, maybe some civilians sitting on the fence might have been urged to come into the streets in protest for this. Or I'm just wondering, like w- w- the wisdom in shouting in shouting that in terms of like winning people, the hearts and minds of the uh, yeah the good citizens of Iraq. Hey, it's not a religious war, guys, but uh, you know, Jesus did kill Muhammad. <laughs> and I don't think at this point you need to amp up the the. Christian nope. versus Muslim rhetoric more to get people to come out and, and be mad at you. It's it's not like they're sitting back there just waiting. Jesus killed Muhammad. I can't take it anymore. And they're going to run out there and attack then. They're already plenty pissed off. Uh, the other big one to come out recently was reported on by Jeremy Scahill mm-hmm. of Alternet.org. The article, U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan told to hunt people for Jesus so we could get them into the kingdom. Uh, This is a quote from a video. The video aired on Al Jazeera, which is great for us. Mm -hmm. Lieutenant Colonel Gary Hensley, uh, chief of of the U.S. military chaplains in Afghanistan. So this is the top chaplain in Afghanistan. He's seen telling soldiers in the video that they are followers of Christ and they have a responsibility to be witnesses for him. The special forces guys, they hunt men basically. We do the same thing as Christians. We hunt people for Jesus. We do. We hunt them down. Also says, get the hound of heaven after them so we get them into the kingdom. That's what we do. That's our business. 
Is there a hound of heaven? I don't remember that from my. Uh, no. I thought that the hounds just lived in hell. And, and I don't the mind the chaplain saying to his his military parishioners, you know, be representatives of Christ. In that, you know, be kind, seek peace before violence, that sort of thing. That's great, but that's no. That's this not is in what the, they're saying. This is in the here. direct context of distributing Bibles to yeah. Afghan citizens. Brilliant. Somebody in the video. Where can people see this video? We should tell them where to see the uh, video. Militaryreligiousfreedom.org, I believe, has the video. Mm-hmm. It was a British cameraman or something? News. No, uh, the video was filmed by Brian Hughes, who was a former United States soldier. And his justification for actually sharing the video was that these soldiers were talking about di- uh, distributing Bibles. One of the soldiers in the group had his church raise funds to pay for Bibles that were translated into Dari and Pashto, languages native to that area. This is Afghanistan. Yeah. And Brian Hughes, the person who shot the video, said the U.S. soldiers weren't talking about learning how to speak Dari or Pashto by reading the Bible and using that as a tool for language lessons, obviously. Mm. He says the only reason they would have these documents there was to distribute them to the Afghan people. And I knew it was wrong. I knew that filming it and documenting it would be important. I thought it was interesting the discussion that they had in their little Bible circle there because somebody was brought up or something like, hey, it's not uh, uh, it's not permissible under the first uh, That's right. general, general order yeah, sure. that Jordan. they can't proselytize. And the guy was like, yes, you cannot. But basically it sounded to me like they were tr- you have to listen to it to get the full flavor. But they're trying to, to kind of skirt as close as possible to the letter of the law without violating, you know, but, but, but also violating the spirit. So they're like, oh, you can, you can't proselytize, but if somebody, you know, uh, if somebody expresses an interest in this, you could give it to them. Or like, and the guy mentioned an anecdote when he was in Iraq, some of the contractors, locals that worked at his house, you know, asked about the Bible. So then he stepped up to the plate and gave it to him and as a present. Yeah. Because he kept dropping it on the ground (laughs) in front of him. Like, oh, hey, could you pick that up for me? General order, general order number one says they cannot proselytize. And yeah, in that conversation, it's completely obvious that everyone there knows that. Right. So, so that's the first thing. This, this wasn't misunderstood. And then, yeah, as you said, they're, they're trying to find all sorts of ways around it. One of, one of the guys in the video says, yeah, you can't proselytize, but you can give gifts. And Ooh. so that's, that's what you're doing with the Bible. You're not, you're you're not trying to convert somebody to your religion. The gift of salvation. And so the, uh, and then they had the stack. The video shows the stack of Bibles there in the different colors. Uh, and then afterwards, apparently, the, the, the story was that they were confiscated and burned uh, and disposed yeah. of, which, again, elicited a torrent of emails objecting to that and saying, you know, right. what if there were Korans that were burned or something. So. Well, and, and the ironic thing is, of course, that, Many, many Korans have been burned and used as target practice, target practice and put in yeah. toilets and fed to people and, and all of these things. Yeah, they weren't burned in like the censorship matter of, you know. They were incinerated because all the trash is incinerated there on the basis. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to, to put it bluntly. <laughs> yeah, they, they were confiscated. They were confiscated because of that general order number one. Of course, you're not going to get that from a lot of the – Christian news wires and, and apologist websites. For example, our friends, the American Family Association that oh, we yeah. talked about in our Speechless episode. Their news show, One News Now, that you can watch at 
the American Family Association's website. If you choose to. Yeah. They have uh, Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinn's who's a Pentagon advisor and military and national security analyst talking about the confiscation of the Bibles, says, This is a bit disingenuous, I think, that you would have a Saudi Arabian-sponsored Al Jazeera television network making tapes on an American facility of a Bible group so that they could target and discriminate against our soldiers. Now, first of all, as we just said, it wasn't Al Jazeera right. that was infiltrating. So this is they just, got the tape, but they yeah. weren't they weren't there recording. This is yeah. just a misrepresentation. It's probably trying to hype up anti-Islam hysteria. Mm-hmm. And then his argument for why this shouldn't have been done, confiscating the Bibles, McGinn says, by and large, soldiers should have the right to share their faith wherever they are. And for the political correctness crew to come aboard and declare that we're going to destroy Bibles because of the sensitivities of the local command, I find egregious. So this is a political correctness thing. This is liberalism leaking in, right? That's right. That's ridiculous. This isn't about political correctness or watching out for people's feelings. This is about the the objectives of the mission. Mm -hmm. The Muslim world is furious because they perceive this war as a religious war and a war against Islam. And when you start trying to convert them... That's particularly like all the uh, Republicans and the conservatives usually jump all over uh, uh, liberals for putting troops at risk. That seems to be their criteria. Like anything that puts troops at risk, we shouldn't do. Is there any doubt that's putting troops at risk to have people think that there's guys streaming over the hilltops with weapons in one hand and the Bibles in the other that yeah. you know that might kind of put our troops yeah. at risk to think that uh, – We'll allow torture or, or, or we'll suppress the information about torture because we don't want to put our troops at risk. But right. we, we I, won't stop these people I from mean, evangelizing. This hearts and minds uh, battle is lost. I mean when we have – because now the people who are, are are even sympathetic or supportive of American soldiers there see stuff like this, find out about how you know they're proselytizing, they're attacking their core belief system. These people are never going to accept our presence because they see what the real agenda is. Well, what about putting the civilians at risk who might be found with that Bible? Well, it, it, and that too. Apostasy is, is punishable by death in a lot of those uh, right. countries. So, like, what would happen? Let's say your contractor working on your house, you like him, here's a Bible, take it home. Let's say that somebody else finds out that he has that Bible and it get fil- it filters back to the insurgents. What do you think is going to yeah, happen you, to him and his family? You've just handed the people the piece of paper with the black dot on it. Is that a pirate reference? No. No, actually, it was Shirley Jackson's The Lottery short story. Oh. Where they, I thought it was that, every that year was the they, black every year spot. Every year the, the town decides that who's going to Well, gonna... that is the black spot. I think that's actually where she got the inspiration for her story from. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure. Anyway. Ooh, literature. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I'm learning stuff. Well, we would hope with now a new administration and with Obama and his emphasis on trying to reach out to the Muslim world and try to improve. Well, because he is a Muslim. Yeah, no, uh-huh. no, he's a Muslim. He's not. And his his attempts to try to improve our image over there, you, you would think the Obama administration would be at the forefront of trying to stop these things from happening. But Mikey Weinstein, who is the head of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, has been very critical of Obama, basically saying that uh, they're just putting this one on the back burner. Some of these guys are yeah. even getting promoted mm-hmm. and instead of really being dealt with, appropriately. 
I don't know if that's because of political pressure or what, but you know, if he's really serious about improving our image, this is a pretty good area to start. Well, the, I, you know, politically, if he's seen as being soft on military, like not military enough, right. it, he's actually a lot of these things could be construed as don't piss off the military because they're infiltrated, yeah. they're rife with all the the Christians, and everything like that. So don't do anything else that could make yourself look like you're some kind of pansy on military operations with the gays, with the Bibles, with the whatever, with the torture photos. Right. And, and then you have Dick Cheney and Newt Gingrich out there uh, jumping on everything. Maybe it would be counterproductive politically for him to challenge that. I, I don't know if that's a good excuse, but uh, yeah. it is interesting to me. How did this culture first begin? How did fundamentalist Christianity become so intertwined with our military? Mm-hmm. We did an episode almost a year back called The Lord's Army, where we discussed uh, a lot of these different cases and the development of it. But Mikey Weinstein in, Har- in the Harper's piece had a very interesting point. He was trying to pinpoint a time politically when this began happening, and he brings it back to the Reagan administration. Uh, He says the the next turning point occurred in the waning days of the Reagan administration when regulatory revisions helped create a fundamentalist stronghold in today's military. And what he points out was the situation that they had before, before Reagan was that they would choose chaplains according to the religious demographics of the military as a whole. So they would look at like what percentage of Presbyterians do we have? If we have 10 percent of Presbyterians, 10 percent of our chaplains should be Presbyterian. Right. That that sort of thing. Uh, So it would be proportionate. And then they also required training for chaplains to be able to do their service to people of all faiths. Yeah, you have to be ecumenical. And if you're a priest and the other guy's evangelical, you have to be able to speak their language and – well, in 1987, the changes that Reagan made were all Protestant denominations were now lumped together and just given the label Protestant. So that, first of all, makes it a lot more ambiguous. So it, you can right. have an Assembly of God uh, minister talking to a, some guy who's a Congregationalist or a or Lutheran. Like that. That's right. Lutheran and and they, snake handlers, are they Protestant? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. And they also began accrediting hundreds of evangelical fundamentalist Bible colleges, giving access to people who graduated from those colleges uh, to the chaplaincy. Mm. And uh, Weinstein argues that you know basically what this did is it filled up the ranks of Protestant chaplains with a lot of very fundamentalist-minded people. And he points out rightly that a lot of those colleges that they accredited – uh, their teaching on ecumenical studies of different faiths is basically going to be why we're right and right. they're wrong. Yeah. It's not It's not really going to be an inclusive education. It's quite common in some of those evangelical sects to consider Catholicism akin to Satan worship or, you know, anything, basically anything but your uh, denomination, born-again Christianity as being tantamount to deceptive and yeah. evil. So if you look at the push for recruitment on the side of these different Christian evangelical organizations trying to get their people to join the military, if you put those two together, I think that's a pretty good explanation of how this may have started. The example that Mikey Weinstein always gives on the uh, – is that Klingenschmidt guy. What was his name? Is it uh, – I forget what was his first name. But he was a, mil- he was a Navy chaplain who – yeah. Uh, refused mm-hmm. to to abide by some of the restrictions on him, like you know, you, Lieutenant you, you, Gordon Klingenschmidt. Yeah, and so a lot of his things too was his. This guy's position represent a lot of those evangelical 
uh, chaplains by saying we don't want to be ecumenical if we uh, if we believe this is the God that you have to adhere to these beliefs. Right. Our job is not to minister to everybody whatever their faith needs happen to be. Our job is to win souls for Christ. Ecumenicism and, is actually counter to their yep. their belief system. It's funny you mentioned Klingen Schmidt. Uh, he's been in the news recently because he's attacked Mikey Weinstein and also Barry Lynn. Well, uh, yeah, the Barry Lynn. <laughs> Yeah, Barry Lynn from the Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Whose show, Culture Shocks, can be heard on WPRR, 1680 AM, 8 o'clock. Dave, every time I talk to him, he's like like he's on. Yeah, well, Kling and Schmidt issued an imprecatory prayer. Is that how you say it? Imprecatory. Imprecatory Imprecatory. Yes, against the (laughs) anti-Jesus Barry Lynn and Mikey Weinstein. Anti-Jesus? Yes. Really? Yeah, here's the contents of the prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God, today we pray imprecatory prayers from Psalm 109 against the enemies of religious liberty, including Barry Lynn and Mikey Weinstein, who issued press releases this week attacking me personally. (laughs) That's in, this is in the prayer? This is in the prayer. Because God wouldn't know that. Right. God, do not remain silent. For wicked men surround us and tell lies about us. We bless them, but they curse us. Therefore, find them guilty, not me. Let their days be few and replace them with godly people. Plunder their fields and seize their assets. Cut off their descendants and remember their sins in Jesus' name. Amen. We had the uh, wow. That's, that's so uh, much worse than anything I had imagined. The guys from the from the Barry Lynn uh, Americans United organization had the imprecatory prayers brought down upon them last year too, from the guys that they were investigating. Yeah, and it was the same type of thing. They they, they it was like a psalm. They're, they they pick some psalm verses that were like calling down wrath of God upon your enemies type of thing. Yeah, and they said, "Well, cut we're off just their descendants." Yep. And, wow, I find it funny the the website where you can see the. Prayer posted has a message that says, listen below, call and ask your local Christian radio station to broadcast this 60-second prayer many times throughout the day on Saturday, 25th. Because the more often it's broadcast, because, the more God uh, listens. God's because, because we've been getting a lot on this channel. We better do something Well, and that. he's jumping around from station to station, so he's not going to catch it every time. I'm just time. surprised they would uh, basically send out a Christian fatwa as a public <laughs> service announcement <laughs> on Christian radio stations. But that's absolutely what it is. Uh, you, can't, you can't pretend that it's – I, they're not calling their their followers to go out and kill Barry Lynn, but they're saying it would be a good thing if God did. A few of their followers might actually pick up on that Absolutely. message, though. Barry Lynn has been uh, his house has been attacked a couple of different yeah. times. People have been putting swastikas on and his garage door. Has, this stuff has come. Do you remember when Pat Robinson, I think it was, used to do imprecatory prayer against the State Department? Yeah, he would be like, you know, I hope somebody sets a bomb off in Foggy Bottom. Yeah, where the absolutely. State Department is, or, but, wow. but, I mean, cutting off their descendants, that's, that's a threat against their children. And I don't know if either of them has grandchildren. But Yeah, if, Mikey Weinstein on an interview with uh, Ed Brayton recently was talking about how they get phone calls at his house. Um, people teach coaxing their children. So these are like five-year-olds saying this over the I phone. Coaxing oh, yeah. their children to say uh, – Mikey Weinstein's dead, Mikey Weinstein's dead, a bullet in his head, Mikey Weinstein's dead. Stuff like that. I mean, that's really creepy. That's, yeah. So that's the political connection between the rise of, of evangelicals in the, in the military. But what's the 
philosophical connection. How is how do we get so many evangelicals in the military um, in or, order to perpetuate this? Or the psychological connection. Or the perhaps. psychological connection. I'm perhaps. glad. You, if only we had a psychologist on the Reasonable Doubts panel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I tried to do some uh, to research on this thing to see what was what's been published on on the. Uh, the intersection of these two, and it seems like one of the key questions, as with a lot of other issues with this, is: Is it the political conservatism, mm-hmm. or is it uh, is it the theological conservative? What part of it? What component is it that relates to the militarism? That sure. is, if we could have people that were otherwise religious who weren't also politically conservative, would they be supportive of the militaristic aspect or not? You know, and I, I found some. Uh, there's actually not a lot published on this, but I, I was shocked actually at some of the studies that show the degree of overlap between militarism. And theological things. Right. I mean, one of the studies I was looking at, if you're into to numbers at all, the correlation between conservatism and militarism was 0.84, which in stat nerd speak is like that's an overlap of like two-thirds of the variants that are overlapped. If one is th- conservative politically and theologically and one supports militaristic type foreign policy, it's, it's way overlapping. Wow. Mm. But again, the question in all these things statistically is how do you separate out the, the theological conservative parts, Bible stuff, whatever like that, yeah. and, the, and the political conservative stuff, Republican politics and whatnot. Right. And some of the studies that tried to tease these things out finds that it does tend to be more, when you're trying to predict somebody's militarism, it does tend to be more politically conservative than theologically. But like I said, there's so much overlap that they're virtually almost synonymous. And the other thing I found a lot of in the research literature was this, and this is the scarier part, and this is the the, uh, the apocalyptic and premillennialist beliefs. Oh yeah, because a like lot Kurt of the, Cameron, yeah, I guess, or Sarah Palin. So the, this, these premillennialist beliefs are that the end times or the apocalypse is going to happen, and one of the linkages with this stuff is that if you know, the end times happen and the world would be wiped out, what other way would this happen than nuclear Armageddon? That is, in people's minds, that's the th- one thing right. that can result in a global wipeout. This is by an uh, author named Stephen Kirloff from the Journal of uh, Scientific Study of Religion. And this was back in the 90s, but what he found was is that people's um, premillennialist views on uh, the apocalypse and the biblical prophecy actually predicted willingness to engage to, you know, that the United States should be in a nuclear war and here's the scariest part, uh, the thoughts that they could survive a nuclear war. Really? Also related to their biblical Duck views. Duck and cover that, people. That is, they thought that to the extent that they had millennialist religious views, they thought that they, could, they were more likely to think they could survive a nuclear war. <laughs> and wow. so you can put this together. This is what, what's scary about a lot of these people in the military, what we talked about before, have this particular brand of Christianity that is not only evangelical, but also a very end-timesy, millennialist, uh, that there's an apocalypse. These are the people with their fingers on buttons. Yeah. Uh, and and I think one of the articles by that same author, he talks about what if you had a, a nuke sub commander who just happens to be of that bent, you know, uh, with a, a bunch of nuclear weapons who thought maybe, well, it's not, we could survive it. Yeah, you get a Crimson Tide scenario I, I was like that say. movie with uh, Denzel Washington. Yeah. And, and Imagine Gene Hackman yeah. as Sarah Palin or something. So yeah. Thinking yeah. that, that uh, <laughs> this is setting up the new world order. Well, and there's arguments that you could say the people at the very top with their finger on the button might believe in some of this too. Uh, there was an article by Clive Hamilton in, on the website counterpunch.org. And basically, he's making the claim that when Bush was talking to France's former prime minister, Jacques Chirac, Bush was making comments about Gog and Magog from the book of Revelation. And he was talking about this in connection to 
you know, these forces being present in the Middle East. Some of the articles I saw on their questionnaire of millennialist beliefs, they had the questions they asked people were Russia, Magog, and uh, Persia or whatever. They had names, and I had never heard, I'm not, you know, that's not from my brand of Christianity. And I was going to ask you, actually, if you guys knew what, is that code words for, it, apparently in Revelation, they're talking about in the end times certain powers Yeah, I know of, of Gog and Magog only through comic books. They're they're important characters in um, yeah, I, I Kingdom Come from, from DC. Yeah. But if and, you're uh, premillennialist, society, these people are taught then apparently to read those uh, biblical words as referring to actual countries now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The passage is in Ezekiel, and then it's made reference again in the Book of Revelation. The verses and when. A thousand years are expired. Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together into battle. And fire came down from God out of heaven, devouring them. So God and Magog represent these big political forces that will be dueling, they believe, in the Middle East because it talks about the north in reference to Israel. And so Gog and Magog gets roped into whatever political context. Yeah, well, this article that I read from the nineties, it was Russia. But yeah. Now apparently people are redoing it so that it refers to Iraq or Afghanistan yeah. or something. Yeah. So they're doing the whole Nostradamus thing where they just reinterpret the Antichrist or whatever as being a different. When I was, you know, back in the eighties, the Antichrist was. Uh, Gaddafi, or before right. that it was Khomeini, then it and was then Gaddafi it was from Hussein, Libya, then it became Saddam and now Hussein. Now it's Barack and Obama. Oh. Actually, didn't the, the Left Behind guys come out and, and say that, in fact, Barack Obama that is probably yeah, not? Yeah, they the were nice enough to confirm for us that but, he but probably, they, so probably, they, probably wasn't. So yeah. they're reading the, the premillennialists then read the Gog and Magog and those sorts of revelation things as referring to specific entities. So in this context, Bush was referring to the Iraq War in that context? That's Yeah, the, in a discussion yeah. with Jacques Chirac, uh, apparently Jacques Chirac didn't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> And had members of his cabinet do a little research into this and was shocked. <laughs> this supposedly is going to get confirmed in a book coming out. But as of now, it's still... And it was mentioned in the 2007 issue of... L.A. Savoie. But so, and the, the passage you just read also has the fire in the sky part. And this is the sort of thing that when they were doing the, these, the research on the, on the nuclear beliefs, right. that a lot of people read fire in the sky as referring to the nuclear, the, the nuclear Armageddon. Yeah. Uh, and so again, that that a lot of the pre dispensationalists and premillennialist people believe, to the extent that they're religious, they actually read into that a nuclear war has to occur for these end times events to, right. to be yeah. to be fulfilled. So if that's true, that Bush really did say that that he's really entertaining these Gog and Magog thoughts, or was that's that's especially disconcerting. Though I believe people uh, wasn't Reagan. Didn't Reagan make some Gog Magog style yes. comments yeah. at some point? Well, yeah, it's, it's kind of seamless through the 80s and 90s, except the countries just changed form. Back then, it was the yeah. the, the clash with the Soviet Union was read as being the the end times, and now it's just simply shifting to a different. Thank location. goodness they're out of office. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, let's hope it gets a lot better. of that mentality. See, the thing is, you can change the president, but the the bulk of the military stays the same. I mean, well, I think that's the point. Yeah, and that, and that 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 you can. It's not always top down, and that if you have yeah, exactly. infiltrated within the high commanders, generals, you know, all the officers, that type of mentality that filters down also to the to the to the grunts as well. 
Now, now the question then it becomes, if you have an infusion, let's say politically things have shifted more in the winds of the liberals and, and the Democrats, would that, is that going to be reflected in the military or are they going to be kind of this own little fiefdom that, that, right. that hunkers down because this is what's happened. Or go underground. With, yeah. That in, the, in the past when fundamentalists have suffered a reverse politically or like in the Scopes trial, it's not that necessarily that they go away entirely. They just hunker down into institutions where the mainstream people don't see them anymore. Yep. And I would argue that's even a little bit more uh, – Foreboding because how do you know what they're thinking? Let's say that there's some guys in the military that have well, we can't even talk about this, uh, you know, because our guy's not in office again. We'll just kind of keep this underground on the down more clandestine. Yeah. To me, one of the most interesting articles I read or commentaries rather about this whole issue about distributing Bibles in Afghanistan and fundamentalism in the military uh, came from the Daily Kos, a writer Valerie Tarico wrote an opinion piece called Bibles in Afghanistan, They Had To. And basically what Tariko is saying, it's, it, it reminded me of Sam Harris a bit, some of the parts of Sam Harris that I really liked. Because she's what she's saying is, you know, try to think, try to step into that worldview for a moment and try to think like a fundamentalist evangelical. Hang on, let me smack myself over the head with a cast iron pot a few times. She says, uh, so why would soldiers put their fellows at risk? Why would those who seek to serve the God of truth lie about their objectives? Why can we count on these problems continuing? Because evangelical Christianity is about evangelizing. Evangelicals believe that they have a moral mandate to win converts, one that trumps all other moral priorities. And what she points out is, you know, all of us prioritize our ethics, right? Mm-hmm. All of us at some situation, even if the rules tell us to want, do one thing, if we have a higher ethic involved, we might violate or skirt those rules a bit to, to get our true objectives. That's the Kohlbergian uh, moral system that some people mm-hmm. go beyond conventional morality and, and say that some, some values trump other morals. Yeah, and for evangelicals, if people really are going to hell – then the best thing you could possibly do for them is to share the gospel, right? That's going to be, you mentioned earlier, Luke, the danger that's going to come to some of these people in Afghanistan if they're found with a Bible. Well, to an evangelical's perspective... Saving their soul. Yeah, that's right. Much more dangerous is that they're going to spend an eternity in hell. Don't fear those who can destroy your your body. Uh, In fact, it's a good thing that you're getting them to death sooner because they're saved. (laughs) If they are saved, I guess you could say that. Step right up past this velvet rope. That's right. Don't have to wait in line. And a lot of evangelicals base their attitude towards missionary work, proselytizing those of other religions on the Great Commission – The Great Commission is the passage at the end of the book of Matthew in the Gospels, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So go into the world and make converts of different religions, people of all nations. It plays into that whole notion of Jesus, you know, Jesus loves all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight, right? Jesus is the guy for racial equality. He right. he wants everybody. Except for brown, apparently. Regardless of their nationality or race to be part of the body of Christ. And for this skeptic Sunday school, I want to share some verses that I think debunk that notion. I think if you examine the Gospels closely, you're going to get a different picture of Jesus. 
For example, let me point you towards Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, where Jesus is sending out his disciples on their first kind of missionary trip, I guess you could say, uh, in the middle of Jesus' ministry. Offering them missionary positions. This is like on spring break where they go down and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they go down to uh, the Bahamas and, and build a shack and then go back home. No, no, that's uh, not the kind of missionary trip. Uh, Jesus says in, the, in that verse, Matthew 10, 5 and 6, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter into any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so he's immediately limiting his ministry just to the Jews. This is in keeping with the rest of right. Matthew, which suggests that Matthew was uh, suggesting that Christianity was offered Jews first. and Yeah, exactly. They get priority as the chosen people of God, and then the gospel would go to the Gentiles. See how it plays with them? Then maybe we spread out. So in Matthew 15, there's this great story that I love watching apologists try to deal with this because it so smacks against the kind of image that we like to have about Jesus. Matthew 15, verses 22 through 28. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity, so Canaanites were those evil people in the Old Testament, right, who were constantly being slaughtered and trying to be purged from the nation of Israel. Right. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came out to him crying, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. And Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Not, not urging Jesus like, you know, please help her out. She's really in need. Don't ignore her needs. She's bothering us, this Jesus. Could you just send her away so she wouldn't? Keeps asking you to heal her child. Yeah. Get rid of her. And so Jesus answers, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. But he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to their dogs. Is what? how Jesus responds. Oh. So in other words, if I'm only sent to the lost sheep of Israel, then I would be giving you something. Oh, this is the one. Be tossing to the dogs. Yeah. This is the one where she has a comeback though, right? Yes. Her comeback is, she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Ding. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Wow. So the way the apologists try to construe this is like what Jesus is doing is he's testing their prejudices of the time, right? Uh, he's, he's just – That's a gymnastic. Yeah. This, this is trying to show that, that really Jesus was for all people. And, and, uh, and this woman knew that, and so her show of faith, Jesus responded, and, and it's a great illustration now, of— Isn't that passage, uh, I think I recall uh, reading somewhere in Bart Ehrman's book that that was altered in a different form in the other gospel. I think Mark or Luke or something like that has it, has it reworded so it doesn't sound so Jew first. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I'm not aware of that, but yeah. I'll have to check it out. Really what's going on is this is entirely consistent with the notion that Israel is God's chosen people, and those who bless the descendants of Abraham will receive a blessing in turn. Um, the fact that he says, woman, you have great faith. One thing to understand is most of these passages where Jesus encounters Gentiles, non-Jews in the Bible, and, and praises them for their faith are not always just to support 
Gentiles, a lot of times they're meant to condemn Jews. Like the centurion who says, um, who sends somebody ahead and says, my servant's uh, sick and everything. And, mm-hmm. and then Jesus says the same thing. He rewards the centurion's faith. Yeah, that's in Luke it's a, it's Luke a, 7, verses 1 through 10. Yeah, and then there's a parallel story in Matt 8, 5 through 13. Now, if you read the version in Luke, though, you'll actually see the full context and you'll realize that it follows that same pattern of blessing Abraham and receiving a blessing. The centurion doesn't approach Jesus. He doesn't approach him at all. He sends somebody else first, and they petition on his behalf saying, look, he's been very good to our people. He's built a synagogue for us. And because of these blessings, you know, you, you should show favor on him. And, and he says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Right. Again, so it's oh. trying to condemn a lot of times the Jews for not living up to, for not recognizing Jesus as being the Savior. Right. I keep picturing though the centurion as John Cleese. That's the problem. I can't get past <laughs> with that passage. But still, the whole time... It, Jesus tends to treat these Gentiles as dogs. They're inferior. They're not supposed to get the blessings that was meant for Israel. Well, what about that Great Commission passage, right? There he's clearly telling people to go visit all peoples of the world. What I want to share real quick are some passages from Acts that when you take these into account shows that the disciples couldn't have gotten that message of equality for all from Jesus. If you go to Acts 10 verses 11 through 15, Peter receives a vision. The situation is, this is after Jesus' death and ascension, and there is a Gentile named Cornelius. Cornelius gets a vision uh, from God, uh, and and he petitions Peter to come visit him. Now, Peter wouldn't ordinarily go to see a Gentile because he felt it was against the law. It was against the, the laws of the Hebrew Bible. So God sends him a vision in Acts 10, verses 11 through 15. It says, uh, Heaven opened up, and something like a large sheet was being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then the voice said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So this is a vision where Peter is getting basically instructions that it's, it's okay to approach Gentiles. They are now somebody that you can access. And okay to eat pork. Uh, I guess you could, yes. Uh, maybe, mm, this is, maybe this is allowing uh, different uh, dietary concerns. But it's clear from the context that this is about approaching Gentiles because in verse 28 of the same chapter, he, he says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Now, what I really want people to get is look at these next couple of verses. In Acts 10.45, there's a group of Jewish believers that come with Peter to visit Cornelius, a Gentile, who has just been saved. And now he has the Holy Spirit and he's speaking in tongues and everything. Acts 10.45 says that the people were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Acts 11, verses 2 through 3, Peter went up to Jerusalem to the Jewish believers, and they criticized him. The Jewish believers criticized him, saying, You went into the house of the uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. 
And then, of course, what Peter does is he shares this vision. No, God says it's okay. It's okay that we eat with Gentiles. It's okay that we are missionaries to them. And uh, after a large conversion of Gentile believers in Acts 11, verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. So my question to evangelical Christians is this. If Jesus really preached a message of open tolerance and equality for all and go out to all nations, why is it that in the beginning of Acts, one of the guys who is there, the disciples, the core disciples don't think this is acceptable and they're astonished when they find out that it could possibly happen. When Peter needs to justify his interactions with a Gentile, by an extra visitation from God, an extra revelation added. Now, after the time Jesus has been dead for quite some time now, he needs an additional revelation from God to justify doing this. And this is how he argues for it with his fellow disciples. If you take those verses seriously and match them up with those verses in Matthew that I said, which, which seem to discount a lot of interaction with Jesus with Gentiles, I think the picture is pretty clear. It's only later on that Jews are not converting in droves to Christianity, that Christianity broadens its mission, reinterprets the purpose of Jesus to bring salvation to all. We're going to end this week on a positive note with uh, our props list, a surprising addition to our props list. Yeah, I never thought I'd see this on the props list. The Southern Baptist Convention, they have actually condemned torture. Uh, Richard Land. Torture in, in all its instances, too. Yeah. Richard Land, head of the Southern Baptist Convention's Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, There is no room for torture as part of the United States intelligence gathering process, says Richard Land. Waterboarding is torture and as such is unethical. I believe there are absolutes. There are things we should never do under any circumstances. For the ultimate test is, could I, in good conscience, do whatever I am authorizing or condoning others to do? If not, then I must oppose the action. If I could not waterboard someone, and I couldn't, then I must oppose its practice. Almost a nice kind of Kantian yeah, uh, really. thinking there. The uh, moral imperative here. You've yeah. Got well, do you think that, that the universal he's, imperative? Do you think that he's doing that to get ahead of the survey data that came out showing that evangelicals were more likely to? I'm sure closer? that's probably a response. So, to yeah. so there, somebody data. met after that and said, "We need to do this damage control on the whole sure. evangelicals tortures." And, and there's actually there's been a lot of good news um, in the world of torture recently. Um, <laughs> uh, who is this um, man cow? The the conservative <laughs> the dude on the radio no, in um, Chicago, a hole radio host who um, I had to listen to that guy growing up and oh really can't, can't stand after him. seven seconds of waterboarding he yeah Sean Hannity was going to to be waterboarded to show that this wasn't wasn't torture yeah and, and man cow stepped up for him when when Hannity took a boarding uh, pushed out and um, he did it and he went into it thinking. This is not torture. I'm going to show you how this is not torture. And and six or seven seconds into it, he gave up, and he is now out there saying this is torture. This is bad news. Christopher Hitchens um, did it too, although I don't think Christopher Hitchens went into it 
necessarily thinking this is not torture. He went into it more as a, I want to see what Maybe this is. Maybe we should is. add that to the curriculum and have everybody be waterboarded yeah. just, <laughs> to, just, to see if you know, that we can sway the polls a little bit by people who are personally waterboarded. Yeah. Well, so, back to the Southern Baptist Convention, yeah. though. Convention thing. Even if they are doing this as damage control after that Gallup poll uh, released the statistics, Which we've talked about. Previously. To me, that's still a good thing because Absolutely. it shows that they they are responding to public pressure. You know, yeah. uh, they're it's been exposed out in the light, and they don't like the way that looks, and so they're trying to change people's attitudes I, and speak out against. I it. I think that's rather charitable of you. I would think that. Do you really need? Is this something that you really needed to think about? To them, I mean, you know, if you're if you're really into the whole turn the other cheek and golden rule type stuff, do you really need poll data to come True. out? True. Should they really have to have a commission to decide if this is wrong? I, if their standard is, would I be able to commission? do this? I'm not sure that's the best moral standard. We can debate the ethics well, some other time. Uh, yes. Right. Is that is are the only actions that that are okay and are the ones? What if you are willing? To I, do? I, I don't think he was putting that as evil, his entire I standard. I think no. that was like a, a comment on integrity. You know, you have to. Uh, yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't the Christian standard always be? Would I like this to, to be done to me? Right. Well, golden rule. I, I think the more people condemn torture, the better. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and at give the very least, it's gonna create here. some cognitive dissonance in in the authoritarian That's element right. within that that congregation. Let's wait to see if there's blowback on that though. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure there will oh, be. Always is. Well, on that note, that's going to be it for this week. Until next time, send us your comments, questions, challenges, gripes, and suggestions to doubtcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook several different ways or follow our sporadic and generally inane tweeting on twitter.com slash doubtcast. Join the discussion at our website, www.doubtcast.org. And uh, I also invite you to check out WPRR's website, publicrealityradio.org. They have a whole slew of shows, including Free Thought Radio, podcasts like Point of Inquiry and Apologia. Also, for you liberal nut jobs out there, Rachel Maddow, uh, Amy Goodman's Democracy Now!, Ed Brayton, who we've mentioned a couple of times today. Yeah, dispatch, or uh, his show is Declaring Independence. Declaring Independence, very good show. Um, and uh, personal favorite, I think, of, of most of us who work for WPRR, full disclosure, um, the Thomas Jefferson Hour, which I, I recommend everyone check out. He's been on for a long time. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Good. He's got like almost 800 episodes in the bag. But oh, it's, oh, it's not really him? No, it's, it's Clay Jenkinson. Anyway, uh, so thanks for listening, and uh, please join in on the discussion. Send us your comments, and we will see you next time. To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission. I uh guys I gotta I gotta pee real quick. <laughs> okay. Pee. Yes. Well what else are we gonna do? We have to do all the um <sighs> His fluid intake has gotten in the way of the podcast. I yeah. can look the other way, but
When the drinking has reached this level, we need to do an intervention. We do. Jeremy, close the door. You've been drinking. <laughs>